Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my live stream and career as a radio presenter with one big regret – never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. In this episode, I'm joined by lifelong Weller fan, author and designer, John Abnett. Known as Mr. Jam, he contributed to the band's box set releases and has designed for some great books over the years, things like Thick as Thieves, In the Crowd, The Jam Unseen, and many more. His new book, From the Floorboards Up, is a unique fan's perspective of Paul's solo career with loads of unseen shots from live performance, all taken by the fans. John Abnett, thanks for joining me. Really looking forward to getting into this. You've been a fan for such a long time, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've been a fan since um, 77. The early days, first heard the In the City on uh, the John Peel show, and that was it. I was hooked. They'd been in the music press. I'd been listening to T-Rex Bowie through my sister in, in the early 70s, and then the whole punk explosion. I mean, the Clash, you know, the Jam, the Pistols, the Damned, you know, that, that whole era was just so good. And obviously it's been well documented it just changed the whole music scene at the time. The John Peel show was, and we've not covered John Peel at all on this podcast, but we really, as a radio fan uh, that I am and somebody who used to work in the industry, we should really talk about him as well because he, he was so important in introducing us to new music and to bands that would be really, really important, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's well documented. He, he played Teenage Kicks for the first time, you know, the undertones and hearing that for the first time, even just a great DJ. Very sadly missed. Impeccable taste as well. I remember him introducing me to the On You Sound record label and I'd never looked back as well. So it's, yeah, amazing taste and bands like White Stripes and all kinds of stuff. Now, so you become a fan of the jam in the city, 
So you're there right from pretty much from day one. So every release that's coming out is new to your ears, which is the opposite of me where I discover Weller in 91, 92 and dive into this enormous, incredible back catalogue. So what was it like as somebody who was getting those releases on the day of release or hearing those songs on the radio for the first time? Can you remember? And presumably you were a kid, right? I was 14 at the time. So even like £2.50 for a record was a, a lot of money. Um, I had a paper round, fortunately. So in the early days, it was... You know, the very early days, it was, you know, you could just go to the record shop, pick up the latest release. But certainly, All Mod Cons, I think, was the turning point that the band really, really gained success that they deserved. And after that, it was every single, every album, you went into the local record shop and and actually pre-ordered it so you could get it on the day of release, reading it from cover to cover on the bus on the way home and just looking at the artwork and, you know, just everything about the albums. You know, you look back on those covers and they were just fantastic. There is something very special about a record and being able to dive into the all the notes and the commentary and, and the pictures and everything that's in those things, isn't there? Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I I don't actually actually own a record player, but I still collect vinyl, so it's ridiculous, <laughs> really. But that, that's the obsession. I just collect what I fancy now, and I certainly keep up with. Uh, Paul's catalogue and obviously all the various uh, coloured vinyls and different versions that are coming out. I try and go for, you know, really nice pieces. I'm lucky to have a few BPIs scattered around the house. And one of those that you can see is actually for the re-release of Strange Town. Obviously, Strange Town being my uh, all-time favourite song. I try and collect as much items of memorabilia as I can surrounding that song. And that one actually is for the uh, re-release in 1983. That's when Polydor re-released all 16 singles into the charts at the same time after the split and that's a seal with this for 250,000 sales when you think it's a re-release that's a huge amount of uh, units to be shifted that's nuts isn't it and look, so all of these discs different coloured discs have got the silver plaque on them telling you how many are sold right yeah silver or gold depending and obviously platinum yeah and then the discs are um, spray painted to either gold silver paint etc do you know which the biggest selling one is you've got um, I've got um, going underground which is hang on a minute <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that, that that was for the when the original single, and that's for five hundred thousand copies, wow. and obviously that's gold. So yeah. wow, wow, that's yeah. brilliant. When they re-released the albums as these, this, there was like a, a collector's box set of the LPs. You, you got involved in that. I'm involved quite a bit with with supply and memorabilia and stuff like that because obviously, again, it's always expensive trying to get stuff of uh, from agencies, etc. You know, they might have some photos, but they don't always have all the press clippings and bits and bobs like that. That's quite. I mean, the gift one was a nice one to be involved with. That that was a really nice uh, nice box set, that one. I just send it off and it all gets scanned and the designer, Mike Story, just takes it all from there or he'll contact me if he needs something in specifically. Right, oh, cool. Right. And I heard a rumour that you were involved in the, the reissues of the Weller albums, the Weller solo ones. For, yeah, for the, yeah, I've, the I've, first I've few, been involved yeah. with them, but, you know, it's just literally to do with the sleeves and that Universal are keen to get them as accurate as possible, which is difficult because, obviously, you've got to try and create, recreate something that's already been printed and manufactured 
you know, I'm a designer. It's a, it's a it's a really hard thing to do. I know people say, well, this doesn't look nothing like the original, but it's, it's virtually impossible to replicate something that's already been done. Did you get to see the band live? Yeah, I, I saw them as, as, you know, often as I can in the early days. Obviously, I lived in Kent, so London was about an hour and, you know, 15 minutes away. I saw them plenty of times early on. You know, once I was able to drive and had my own transport, then it, it really kicked off big time. And when you think back, you know, you send off a, a a check in a self-addressed envelope never sure if you'd get a ticket back it was it was ridiculous really taking it forward today you know people log on and you know it's sold out within five minutes some gigs so nothing changes really the faith of yeah putting a check in the post is it going to arrive in the first place but also is that actually securing you a ticket yeah, <laughs> it's crazy yeah, you know it? ridiculous when you look back i mean there were some disappointments that was just area you know the process in those days the first one I went to was at the Hogan Anchor, and that was just something else. It was quite, quite frightening because obviously I was quite young. There were youngsters in there when you saw like the real punk element that used to get in there. That was quite frightening. A lot of time was just stood at the back, just taking it all in, really. When did you pluck up your courage to get further to the front? <laughs> I've only ever done that once, unfortunately, and that was in 1981. Uh, Skegness. I'm not a big big fan of big crowds, believe it or not. But. I've only seen, obviously, the video footage, but the ferocious nature of the songs being played, it was, I mean, the speed and the noise and the sound was just looks incredible. And hearing from other guests on the podcast as well about that. Yeah, I mean, you, it, it's when you think three men was in the band and the sound they made, just fantastic. It was just, you know, how do you put a jam gig into words? It Just unbelievable. Every time, every gig, there was never a bad gig. You know, even if the sound went wrong or exciting, just had to be there. Were there any particular songs in the set list that would stand out for you? Were there ones that you went, do you know what, I, I really want to hear this live or I absolutely love this one? Or it would well, really... Strange Sound strange my all-time favourite. Yeah. It, it always has been. That, that, to me, was the sound of the jam. They'd created this sound, and to me, that empowers the sound of the jam. Yeah, so obviously, Strange Town featured quite a lot in the set. They had a big song live, that, isn't it, as well? I mean, that probably goes bonkers. <laughs> yeah, 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 when Paul started playing it in his solo set. Obviously, one of his favourites as well. So, How did you feel when uh, the announcement comes that the jam are going to be no more? Funny enough, I was walking from work in my dinner break and I bumped into another jam fan. He was he was younger than me, Eon. We just heard about it. It was in October. The rumours had leaked out and it was just, is this really happening? This, this band has been such a big part of my life over the past years. Like everyone, obviously over time, you know, you've learned more about it. So you could clearly see why it had to happen. The musical differences, the direction Paul wanted to take the music. It was actually gut-wrenching at the time, but a lot of the bands I'd been listening to had also demised. I think the only band that I really listened to at the time who was still going at that time were the Vapors. But again, I got into those through um, supporting the jam. So it's all connected, isn't it? And so, as a what would you have been like an 18, 19 year old young man? 19, yeah. 19, 19, yeah. 19 year old man. Did you shed a tear? <laughs> um, I don't think it went that far, but it, it's not it, like when Take That splits up, is it? It's not the, <laughs> it's not the same thing, no. <laughs> no, no. How did you feel when he comes back a few months later and the style counts are a new thing? Were you one of those who dived in or were you one of those who were like, whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa? I certainly dived in with the first single speak like a child i thought this is really good i had doubts only because i thought well you know the jam could have done this as a single bruce on bass could easily have been a jam single to make like solid bond which obviously was was demoed during the mm. during the jam time albeit with 
Paul and Pete Wilson, I think. People think that I wasn't a fan of the council, but I was. To me, they just wasn't wasn't the jam. There's standout points. I certainly went to at least one gig on every tour. Yeah. Given the choice, the jam on my bands. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've made so many friendships out of this as well, haven't you? There are so many kind of lasting oh, friendships from, you mentioned, like a, a sharing the news with, a, with another young jam fan. Yeah. But right over the last kind of 40 years, you've made so many yeah. mates of this, haven't you? Absolutely. It's, 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 you just share that common love of the music, fashion. I think it's the only band, the only musician that would pull that sort of community together. I can't think of any other musician that has that sort of fan. I don't want to say worship, but I guess that's how you, the only way you can can explain it no i was trying to think about that the other day because somebody said something on the podcast and i think it's like you know you obviously have huge bowie fans and huge kate bush fans and huge genesis fans and stuff and i know you know obviously i'm biased because i'm a massive weller fan and we're having this conversation on a paul weller fan podcast but it does seem very different his world and his fan base seems very different to those to me yeah i mean obviously as you mentioned Oh, yeah, no, they've obviously got massive followings, but I just, we're just all like-minded people. You know, even as we're getting older, we still try and, if we can get hold of a pair of trainers that Paul's worn, or I've got a massive click retro trainers, and it's just ridiculous. I've got pairs I've not even worn, and, you know, <laughs> much to my wife's uh, disdain. Now, I've seen these back into the Italian classic Adidas. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like... Should I? Can I? Where do you know? <laughs> well, I don't, you know, obviously Paul's got leads on where to get them, but I think uh, Adidas should start re-releasing them. Oh, they're that good. They're, yeah. they're just a fashion statement. Yeah, and he's got great taste, isn't he? I mean, he always looks amazing. Oh, he always looks dapper, and the music's yeah. great. So let's talk solo years. Brian, I'm going to take you back to the early 1990s. Here we are, Paul Weller, the solo album. That first yeah. solo album comes in 1992. But you were there before that. You were there with the Paul Weller movement. You were there when yeah. there were very few people in a Paul Weller live gig, which seems mad. I remember one one gig in particular at Subterranea in London. There was probably 200 people there. He came on stage at, I think it was about 11.30 in the evening. Certainly me and the guy I went with, Jonathan, we, we were thinking we missed our train home. <laughs> yeah. We had to see it. I mean, it's, it's just in, incredible to think. 200 people watching Paul Weller. It was just unbelievable. Now, whether that was to do with demise of the Style Council and the way they ended, I'm not too sure. Because obviously the first album is absolutely blinding. And I still play it regularly. I still go back to that so often because it's such a diverse album. There's so many different sounds in it and you, you hear different things each time you play it, I think, even now. Yeah. The early gigs, he didn't have enough songs. So, he, he, you know, he had to dig back into the jam and style cancel catalogue to put a set together. When you think back, 200 people watching Paul Weller. <laughs> Obviously, the venues were small as well. So the only thing I find odd is um, he kicked off at Dingwells with his first gig, and then he set out on a tour of Europe. Yeah. And then obviously came back to the UK to finish off the tour. I don't know. I don't know what the numbers were like out in Europe. I didn't get a chance to go to any, but it would be interesting to see, you know, how, how many fans watched him out in uh, the European venues. We should talk about the new book. So the new book, From the Floorboards Up, is this lovely idea where you've got a really, I mean, you call it a unique fan's perspective, for a photographic book, following the icon that is Paul Weller. So all, all of these photos that are in there are for live events, both from the UK and overseas, like you've said. And it's from that moment, from the, 
the early 90s, from 1990, when he goes out as Paul Weller movement and he's back on the road and he's trying to find his mojo and all that, right through to um, we finished just pre on Sunset 2019. So where, where did you come up with this idea of wanting to see the fans' photos and creating a book of that? It came about, I, I worked with Twink on his book, with Jam Unseen, uh, back in 2007, which was great. A whole day searching through 3,000 slides of the jam. You know, what a bore. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was just, oh God, he's, he's playing it, you know, he's playing a Telecaster and got his smiling in that one. And, you know, that's got to go in. That was a really unique and um, I really enjoyed doing that. The book was very successful. So then I was approached by a publisher to see if I wanted to do my own book, but due to work commitments, just didn't get the time. So I've helped out and designed, worked on Thick as Thieves, In the Crowd, Rick Buckler's autobiography. And then I come up with this idea. I approached a couple of professionals. They wanted, you know, ridiculous money for a couple of images, just for a couple of images. So it was patently clear that going down that route wasn't an option. And obviously since then, they've published their own very successful books. They're really nice products. With Facebook and that, you know, people posting photographs, I looked at them and I thought, you know, these are really good and they need to be shared with a, a wider fan base. So started two years ago, actually, I put together a concept PDF. I continued with, with, with the idea, collecting images, collecting set lists, ticket stubs, posters. And obviously, I've got my own uh, collection to call upon. It was just amazing, the images that were coming in, especially the early ones. You know, how, how people managed to sneak a camera in and take images in the very early pool. Well, the movement days is, is unreal because they were really strict on cameras at the time. So I opted for this day in music books because they had just successfully published Andy Cross book poll and you know they'd made a really nice job of it you know obviously the photographs were the main content of the book and, and they were great but the, the production of the book was just really really good yeah it's a lovely uh, thing that, isn't it it's a lovely thing that and um, and Andy's signed my copy of that to the biggest oh, nice. yeah, to, I've, to, I've to the biggest Weller fan in the world so not that it's a competition but if Andy Cross <laughs> has said it it must be true surely yeah yeah <laughs> Absolutely, that's nice. So yeah, they, you know, once I'd shown interest within a day, we discussed the contract and it was signed. So I mean, basically, we're splitting down the kind of thirty years into into three buckets, right? So uh, so into tomorrow is nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety nine. We've then got Days of Speed, which is two thousand two thousand nine, and Wake Up the Nation twenty ten to twenty nineteen. So if we go through each section, so into tomorrow, so this first section, like I say, Paul's refound his mojo. We've got that first solo album. We've got Wildwood. We've got Stanley Road. We've got Heavy Soul. What an incredible period of time. But like you say, this is pre-smartphone, pretty much all of this. Yeah. So people are snucking in like actual cameras or disposable ones. How did you get these pictures from people? It's great. I was surprised at the quality. I mean, unfortunately, I've, I've, I've received some really good photos, but technically they just can't be used. There is going to be a limitation to the book because a lot of the photos aren't technically correct. They're maybe a little bit out of focus but they're still important enough to be shown yeah I was, I was really surprised at how many we was able to obtain for the, the the first decade it shows you know Paul playing in a small venue with his shirt off 
<laughs> you know, because it was so, so sweaty and hot, and then on to playing the b- bigger venues, all within the space of a couple of years. Oh, it's brilliant as well because you've got set lists, um, a lot of them handwritten by Paul. You got some of the posters, and it looks like some of that Simon Halfman's artwork, maybe, or these kind of really cool collectible designs. Yeah. So there's there's the extra discovery. There's a one there's one set list. Obviously, I can't remember what the gig was, and you've got all these amazing songs on there, like Amongst Butterflies and Ball Rush and Wild Wood and all that stuff. And then right at the end, you've got the um, couple. Of, I think there's three encores like Bitterness Rising um, Cosmos and all that fifth season is the uh, final encore and the final bit is put fuck off home <laughs> yeah yeah that, that, that was actually in uh, that's a set list from Japan um, <laughs> that's actually being included in the deluxe set there's a couple of reproduction set lists and that's one of them that's brilliant because oh, yeah. also a lot of the songs he obviously doesn't write out the full name of the song does he so he'll no. put he'll put Weaver or he'll put Fire or jam. So some of it you're reading through and it's like, it takes you a little while to figure out yeah. what the song is, doesn't it? It's nice. Yeah, yeah the, the handwritten ones are really nice. A lot of people will just strive to get Paul's set list, obviously, because there's notes on there, you know, which which guitars are to be used and such like. I think I'm right in saying that they actually print extra set lists off now so, so the fans can you know obtain a copy which is a nice thing to do and like you say this is i mean it's great that you can see even through the gigs and the pictures you can see that return to big venues can't you you can see him we're starting off in the book and it's those small venues like you say but then as we're getting through we're back to the royal albert hall you can see that journey to him being really back on top properly for for stanley road time can't you yeah i I think it was what probably four four years, maybe three years in, into his career, he was back at the Albert Hall. So, I mean, to think that a musician of Paul Standing was left without a record deal, you know, obviously no contract, wondering what direction his music was going to take him. Just unreal. Unreal. Obviously, a lot of people missed out. A lot of record companies missed out in those early days. The other thing that's, um, that's really cool is you've got our old friend of the podcast, Mr. Pat Gilbert, Mojo Magazine, what a lovely guy he is. He's written words for you as well, so you get this kind of narrative throughout too. Originally, it was intended to be just a photographic book, but then the guy I first pitched it to, he said, John, I, I really think these images need breaking up with some text and narrative. I'd spoken to Pat before. I mentioned the book to him, sent him the PDF, and he, he said yes to it straight away, which was really nice. It's just the icing on the cake for me on a personal level. His writing is, is so good and his research, you know. Hopefully there's a few things in there that fans won't, won't have heard about. There could be something in there that they might find. The second decade that you, t- you touch on, Days of Speed, I mean, I still listen to that album blows. That, that acoustic album is so brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's uh, to be honest, when he announced the acoustic, you know, the Days of Speed tour, I just, I don't know, but then, then when you saw the set list, you know, English Rose and just thought, yeah, this is really good. Again, just another one of those amazing tours. Um, um, and as you say, the LP is, is is second to none. The other thing that's lovely looking, looking through is, is seeing all the band members that you remember from the times as well. People like Helen Turner, for instance, in those very yeah. early days. And, and lots of people yeah. who have been on the podcast, it's lovely to see from my point of view too. But we get through and then Damon Minchella's in the band and Craddock, you mentioned, and um, and all that. So we kind of see the, the evolution of Paul's sound through the other band members too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think Yolanda Charles is in a theo. I mean, she, she was probably one of my favourite bass players, but Steve White. It obviously features in a few and then most of the current band yes yeah White is in there loads which is lovely to see him back with Paul after this style council because he wasn't involved so much towards the end of the style council and then obviously from day one of the Paul Weller movement and he still looks like a young boy in the, in the, in the beginning doesn't he <laughs> 
I know he's into his martial arts, so that's probably why. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. But um, there's, there's some great shots with him in as well. And we, I mean, we cover right across, like, yeah, we're around the country, we're around Europe. Talk to me about the uh, the title of the book from the floorboards up, which is obviously, you know, a huge big Paul Weller anthem that we know and love. Yeah, uh, the story goes, that, um, and I remember reading that Paul and Whitey wrote it after a, uh, a gig at the Barrowlands. You can actually feel I've, I've never been to the venue but you can you can feel the, the vibrations from the floor with the with, with the crowd so obviously with that in mind being a book with live photos it seemed an obvious choice for me so were there any when you were getting these photos through from the fans were there any gigs when you kind of looked at the photo you were like oh i wish i was at that one yeah there's a there's a few the free in the in new york he did three nights in new york and he did a jam night, a style council night, and then a solo night. I know quite a few people who went to that. Probably those three. Yeah, funny yeah. enough, that was, that was what I was going to pick down you. Because it was advertised as that. And then I remember reading an interview with Paul, and because this was around Hit Parade, wasn't it? It was the album yeah. that had come out. Yeah, great like Parade, yeah. yeah, and it was the jam style council and solo and for the album and the DVD and all that. And I remember reading an interview with him where he was fuming about the fact that this thing had gone on sale and claiming that he didn't know that it was three separate things and that he was going to have to do the jam style council and these different nights and all this right and i can't remember where i read it but i remember reading it and then they were like oh you didn't know if it was going to happen but when you look at your set lists and stuff it definitely was wasn't it there was a jam night and he starts yeah. with all those songs yeah. and and, the, yeah. and then the style council night and all that it really was that yeah absolutely yeah yeah probably guy that i couldn't Ten those ones. I mean, he looks great. He's got like proper flowery shirt on. <laughs> I'm looking at the one, photo. One night, yeah, yeah. One night, isn't he? I mean, that, that photo, of the, I, I think it's the Style Council night, that one. That is such a great photo. That was uh, taken by Alan Jones. The other great thing that's looking through is, and, and we haven't touched on the Weller haircut too much over the years, but I've had an attempt in my in my life. You've got a bit of a Weller haircut going on yourself, but you do see the evolution of his haircuts throughout the whole thing as well. And there's some there's some classics, but there's also some where you're like, oh, I'm not sure about that one, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess early on, the, the you know, it's obviously the Marriott cut and Bison cut you know around the years this is another reason i think i am hoping that the, the fans will like the book because you've got those who are interested in the fashion obviously how he looks and the equipment i've got a section on the book i've you know managed to do a q and a with roger his guitar technician you know you've got those those musicians that are really going to be interested in that i'm quite excited about that there's uh going to be a piece from Ange the front of house guy, the two guys responsible for the sound of a live gig, which I don't think has ever been covered before. Yeah, the stuff you done with Rog is great. And um, both of them hopefully coming on the podcast as well, fingers crossed. So we'll, we'll join up on the stories, which will be lovely. Yeah, it's just brilliant looking around. And the other thing that kind of springs out as well, some of the photos you've got where he's got guest performers and there's like a whole section around support acts, which you've got the Stripes, you've got Stone Foundation, Neil um, Sheesby's who's been on the pod. You've got the Rifles, the Dogs, but you also see people like Lucy Rose in pictures with playing with Paul yeah. and Steve Brooks, for instance, which is really yeah. nice too, isn't it? I mean, Steve Brooks, one talented guy. I mean, w- w- one of my favourite gigs was the uh, night he did based around his book, Keeping the Flame. That was probably in my top five top five gigs. I don't know what people were expecting because it, it was well advertised. Uh, obviously, it wasn't advertised that Paul would make an appearance. And I, I was involved with Vic, the promoter, with that. And I didn't even know Paul was going to make an appearance until you could see his legs under the um, under the stage curtain at the back. <laughs> um, but even without Paul, it would have still been a, a really, really good evening because, you know, Steve's such a talented guy. And he went through and told the story of basically when they were jamming together as 12-year-olds, playing every brother's hits and Norwegian Wood and were writing the early songs at um, Stanley Road. 
the other lovely thing I've, I've I'm featured. So what did I say? I'm featured. A couple of my photos are in there from the Royal Albert Hall from with Bruce Funkston back on stage yeah. with Weller, right? That was just stunning. The book is supposed to go to press next week, and I'm still getting photos because people have obviously just heard about it. The publisher's going mad because it, it was originally going to be 240 pages. And it's gone gone up to four hundred and thirty two. Wow! Um, so <laughs> you know they're not that pleased, and I'm still having to make decision whether to include these late entries or not, and delete. You know, maybe delete. But it's a difficult choice. But when I when I saw some of yours, um, they just had to go in. So oh, bless you, bless you. Well, there, yeah. There's been a few mosh pits front front row over the over the years because I do like that's my favourite position. I do love a bit of that. But it's really remarkable as well when you look through just the amount of albums, the amount of different tours these are too, um, yeah. and particularly in, in from that latter part of the book where I mean, you've almost got a different album, different tour every year, haven't you? It's it's kind of yeah. you know the, yeah. the artwork that's on stage with him supporting the album. You're like, oh yeah, that was kind of revolution, or oh that's um, 22 dreams, or that's you know Saturn's pattern. It's like blimey, it's it's really blasting through the amount of the amount yeah, of different sets and stuff. Yes, yeah, it's been great. The output's been great. What did you find when you were talking to the support bands, which is lovely? And, you, and I mentioned the ones you, you covered off. You obviously got photos there, but there's also um, interviews and chats with them as well. So what did you learn from the guys who were who were supporting Paul over the years throughout this journey too? Every one of them said, "What a nice bloke." really supportive, would be there watching the sound check during their actual slot, he'd be at the side of the stage. He allowed them to use all, all the amenities, the catering, and just they all said the same thing. What an amazing guy. So at the time of recording, we're close to going to press. You've got some big decisions to make. That <laughs> sounds things. Yeah. <laughs> How do people get their hands on the book? How does it work? Because there's at the moment, there's like a deluxe version as well that's, that's on sale, yeah? It's pre-sale. It's due to be published in November, but that's probably going to have to go back to December for various reasons. You, um, the deluxe version it's basically the same book it's a hardback book so the standard version is just a standalone and then the you get the same book in a in a box comes with a free poster that i've designed i had a special artwork of paul commissioned there'd be set lists replica tickets a certificate of authentication and a really nice enamel key fob which i designed and um of the paul weller movement logo so that's quite special um, and there's only 500 copies of those and that's really selling well and will sell out so people need to be really quick if they want to get their hands on that definitely won't appear again they might reprint the standard version but the box set that is it 500 copies worldwide and you can tell this is a real labour of love for you There's a, you've loved it as much as you were talking about Twink's book and digging into those pictures of the jam back in the day you love going through these pictures I bet, I bet it was a thrill when this stuff was coming into your inbox wasn't it? absolutely I mean as we've already touched upon the, the early days I was just surprised that that there was those photos available because at the end of the day without any photos from that period there would have been no books so that's true I hadn't thought of that yeah if, if people aren't sending you the stuff from the early days you've got you're picking up at days of speed or when Paul's already back on top you want to tell the whole story don't you yeah that was the whole crux of the, 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 the matter really without those photos when it was evident that I could make a um, decent section out of the first decade from there on it, it was fairly easy because of the advent of um you know, mobile phones and people taking cameras now. I guess the latter years are obviously top top heavy because of that fact it was more accessible to take photos, etc. Well it's a tell you what, it's a special thing because I think as somebody who's been going going to gigs from I mean from those early days, not as early as you, but from you know, I think my first gig was ninety two. It's lovely to see it always feels like it's my journey through some of this stuff as well, you know. Oh that's good. Thank you for that. There are you know, I've I've got really good friends who uh, we've been at the same gigs but not realise it at the time. And you, you meet up a few, you know, you meet up years later and it's that kind of thing 
Oh, I was there. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we didn't know each other at the time. Oh, really? Oh, great. I love it. You mentioned Twink earlier on in the book that you were involved in with him. Twink was on the episode of this podcast directly before you. So tell me the story about how you worked together and, and your your friendship and stuff there. Well, Twink, obviously I knew of Twink from the jam days. Um, I'd, I'd never met him um, prior to the first uh, meeting for the Jam Unseen book. I was contacted by a mutual friend, the publisher, Cyan, snapped it up straight away. So we met for the first time in their offices Twink is well known that he uh, suffers from bipolar. And, and I believe it, it was the first time he'd been out of his house for many, many years. So it was a big thing for Twink to come down to London. We hit it off straight away. And I remember he pulled out this old-fashioned like 1960s suitcase. It was full of dust. And there was just all these loose transparencies inside. We just sat there with a light box going through, trying to whittle it down to 300 slides to appear in this book. That was just a great day, you know, to see all these professionally taken images that had never been seen. It was just amazing. That was a great day, a great experience. At the end of the podcast, you'll have hit, you'll have hit, hear this. He played a wonderful version on his banjo of Butterfly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Beautiful thing, Amazing. beautiful thing. He tried to get me to sing that, <laughs> to do the look, which is something nobody wants to hear. But yeah, <laughs> he was, he was you don't never know. You might get to make Paul quicker. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Yeah, I spot some talent there. Who knows? You mentioned Steve Brooks earlier on and the gig Wake Up Woking, which was this charity gig. Paul Weller plays. Steve Brooks is supporting. Actually, Steve mentioned it on the podcast as well because he got up and played with Paul at one point. Bruce Foxton was there on the first one as well. And we've had 10, I think I'm right in saying, Wake Up Woking since. So tell me about Wake Up Woking. The very first one, it was um, it was Sam Molnar and Vic Fulsetta approached Paul to see if he would do this charity gig in Woking. So that was Wake Up Woking 1, which was, again, a really great gig. Raised a lot of money for the, the charity. But it's Vic Fulsetta's the main guy now. I just get involved. I design the posters and stuff like that for it, badges. I think they're close to raising 100000 which is um, pretty amazing, really. Didn't you also produce a single off the back of one of them? Was that right? Oh, right. Yeah, that was uh, left, right and centre. Um, yeah, so this, this was a really early well-attuned, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure who came up with the idea, whether, whether it was Vic or myself. As always, to not hack anyone off or, you know, just, just out of courtesy, we approached Paul and said, look, we want to do a version of uh, left, right and centre. Have you got any, any thoughts about that? And being a great guy he is, he came back and said, yeah, no problem. So Enzo, ex-Squire member, mm-hmm. his band, um, covered it for us and we recorded it in Maidstone, James Stone studio in Maidstone. He's been involved with some of the stuff that Paul's done down at the barn with Charles. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was an insight seeing, seeing how that, that was done, but it was all done in a day. And then obviously Steve Brooks contributed an early song. And then I cheekily asked Paul if he would write the lyrics out, uh, which he did. So again, that was another really nice thing of him to do. And that was given away the lyrics to both songs were given away in a special edition gatefold of the single and then there was a black and a red vinyl version and again that that sold quite well and raised some money so all to the good love it love it do you know what's coming next in that area do you know what, what they're up to now vic is keen to get uh the next 
because of COVID, he's he's missed a club a couple of years, and um, yeah, he's he's always keen to put on the next wake up woking. Just watch his space, as I say. This has been so lovely, John. Thank you so much. Good luck with the book. What does Mister Weller make of it? Do you know yet? I'm not too sure if he's actually um, seen it. I've sent the I, I sent the first sets of PDFs to Claire Mooney's manager. I mean, she's she's been really supportive. She gave me the blessing from the outset, which was again really nice. I'm not too sure without the green light from the Weller management or Paul. I probably wouldn't have gone ahead with it so yeah getting the green light in the first instance was uh, was brilliant she came back she wanted three images deleted from the first set of pdfs so that was quite good was it the one where paul had a moustache i remember seeing that as a live shot (laughs) no (laughs) that's not in your book is it (laughs) no no i'm just waiting to hear back about the latest because i sent the cover and stuff like that as well for her to see I love the idea of us now racking our brains trying to think what Paul would veto would it have been like a fashion fail or do you know what I mean it's like <laughs> I have two questions for you two final questions for you that always come on this podcast you may well know what's coming and in fact you may well have answered one of them already but we'll see you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life it can be the jam the star council or solo what are you going to go with it will be it would be strange town Okay. Now, if we were to pick a solo one, given that the book, it covers the solo years, which one would you pick from the solo catalogue? There's so many. Probably Gravity, just a really beautiful song on all levels. We were lucky enough, we attended the Master Tapes for the gift hosted by John Wilson. I think it went on for about three hours. Paul was in really high spirits, as well as playing a few jam, Five O'Clock Hero, that's entertainment. He played Gravity, which he was obviously a new song. Even at that early stage, you could tell what a good song it was. Final question. Obviously, the purpose of the podcast is to talk to amazing people like yourself, but also is to get that interview with Paul Weller that I never managed during my radio career. If it happens, when it happens, what should I ask him? What do you reckon I should cover off? Probably silly, really, but I drive a Mini as well. Why does Paul like the Mini brand? Nice. I was thinking that. I saw that in Ripley when we were there with the kids after a little day out. Obviously, I'm not stalking you, Paul, honest, don't worry. I was like, that's not a practical car for a dad of three young kids. Yeah. <laughs> and the clubman, I've got the clubman, it is. You know, there's quite a lot of space in the clubman. Oh, really? I think he's got five or six, so yeah. probably one for every day of the week. Um, <laughs> we saw him at the radio. Actually, it was the gift when he did the master tapes, um, not far from where he lives in Maida Vale. And he's obviously just driven around the corner and he, you know, he parked his mini up outside and you know, obviously every, everyone ascended on him. Only Paul Weller could just park his mini outside the BBC. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, we were talking about other stars. They'd, they'd have a driver, wouldn't they? So, um, Hey, John, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the book. It's brilliant. It's a magical piece of work. I've only seen the PDFs office at this stage, so I can't wait to get the actual thing in my hands. So thank you so much for your time, John. Thanks. Thanks for yours, Dan. My thanks once again to John Abner. You can find all the information on his new book, From the Floorboards Up, in the show notes for this podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please follow and leave a review. It helps us to find new listeners to the show and do share on your social media channels. You can also buy me a coffee and find more information about my guests in the show notes for this podcast. Get in touch on Twitter at WellerFanPod or on Instagram and Facebook. It's Paul Weller Fan Podcast. I'll see you next time. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.